This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Do you ever feel like you're not quite sure what's going on with COVID anymore? What numbers to pay attention to? What the latest guidance is for masking or testing or quarantining? If so, don't worry, you're not alone. Joining us now to discuss the CDC's recent move to relax some of its COVID guidance and to talk monkeypox is Dr. Mia Teramina, an infectious disease specialist with Dooley Health and Care. Hi, Dr. Teramina. Hey, Sasha. And we're taking your call. So if you've got questions about COVID or monkeypox, now's the time to call 866-915-WBEZ. Again, the number is 866-915-WBEZ. Doctor, as I mentioned, the CDC updated COVID guidance. So what's changed? So I think the biggest part about what has changed is we've eliminated the need to quarantine if you've had a higher risk exposure. And this comes from a place of realizing that between doses of vaccines and recovery from actual COVID infections, about 95% of the entire U.S. population has at least some antibodies. So it's allowing us to sort of monitor for symptoms don't necessarily need to quarantine, wear a mask instead, and test yourself at day five or certainly at any point if symptoms arise. We've also changed the test to stay recommendations for some schools and, you know, social distancing is becoming less of a priority now. uh, And we're looking at kind of more of staying up to date on our vaccines and doing what we need to do in order to get through this next fall. So the, the agency's relaxed guidance because so many Americans have some kind of immunity from the vaccines or from past infections. What's what do you think of that approach? I think it was time to, you okay. know, kind of have another update as we approach the start of the school year. You know, if we when we go back and look at this entire pandemic historically, we are gonna likely look back at what these children have been through and to to many extremes, they should have been prioritized to be kept in schools as long as possible and not quarantining healthy kids as we approach the fourth year that's been impacted for these students is an important next step. These kids, hopefully, they've had an opportunity to be vaccinated. Hopefully, they are and boosted. Many of them have also had COVID and recovered. So being sent home for a period of time simply because they've had an exposure in the class or an exposure on their sports team when they're otherwise feeling healthy and fine is really causing more harm than good in terms of their uh, academics moving forward. Mm -hmm. So that's an important step for these kids. You know, this route of leaving it up to individuals, that's really tricky. Um, And I think a lot of people just don't know what to do. So what do you suggest? So I think the most important part is to make sure that you're up to date on your vaccines. You should at this point receive every vaccine you're eligible to receive, including your primary series and all booster doses that are recommended. And that's true for our kids as well. Um, We've got many parents who are very good about getting those first two doses, but maybe haven't gotten the boosters for their kids. That's going to be the important first step. And then the rest of this is going to be having a pretty low threshold for testing if your child becomes sick, even if it's just common cold symptoms. We have easy access to testing and we can go ahead and test from home as an additional layer of mitigation. Staying home when you're sick and wearing a mask when you're having symptoms. We really, really need to destigmatize mask wearing, especially amongst kids, because wearing a mask when not feeling well or doing so because maybe you've had a higher risk exposure and you're doing the responsible thing needs to be normalized. That's okay. That's exactly what we want you to do. Let's um, talk about masking. What role should masking play in our approach here? 
So you definitely should be masking if you've had a higher risk exposure, especially within the household. That's the, going to be the biggest chance of transmission if it's within your home, even if you're able to kind of distance and isolate within the home. So if you've got a parent or a sibling that's homesick and one that's not, the sibling that's not sick, if they're up to date on their vaccines especially, can go back to school, but really should do the responsible thing and, and wear a mask. And if you've had COVID yourself and you're feeling well and you're ready to break that quarantine after five full days of isolation, you have to remember that the recommendation remains to stay masked with a high quality mask and avoid crowded gatherings and immunosuppressed people all the way through day 11. A reminder that we want to hear from you as well. If you've got questions for Dr. Teramina, now's the time to give us a call at 866-915-WBEZ. Again, our number is 866-915-WBEZ. Doctor, parents, as we know, are sending their kids back to school. Um, so, you know, if a COVID-free household is their priority, as it is mine, I'm pretty sure yours is as well, what do you suggest? So back to the being up to date on every eligible yeah. uh, dose of vaccine, that's going to be first and foremost. And the rest of it is going to be staying mindful of, of certain activities. For the most part, you know, these kids are going to be in school and they're going to be in, in close contact with their peers, masked or not. You know, it is my opinion that masks work best when they're universal and, and a few kids in a classroom wearing a mask isn't going to do much, especially when they have group activities and cafeteria eating and they're going to be exposed to one another. So I think that if there's going to be really big crowded gatherings, the back to school kind of uh, meet and greets and stuff like that, those might be opportunities to have a mask on. And then the day to day at school, having conversations with your children about having masks available, especially if they're not not feeling quite a hundred percent or if anyone else around them may be coughing or sneezing they're going to be in close contact with others it might be something that's sort of on again and off again throughout the year yeah you know this guidance is coming when most people under 50 they're still not eligible for that second booster therefore they could be more vulnerable to contracting covid any suggestions for those folks you know who got their booster more than six months ago yeah, and those of us that are almost a year at this point, yes. um, I, I definitely want <laughs> my booster shot soon as well. I think that when we do get word on these variant-specific boosters, there's the initial concern that maybe not everyone will be eligible. I think there's going to be plenty. I, I think there's going to be 150 to 200 million doses that become available this fall. And I don't know that our kids right away are going to be eligible. So all of us adults that are eligible to stop the spread of Omicron by getting these vaccines that are more Omicron specific, that will be great because if all of us adults go ahead and get our booster doses right when we're supposed to do so in the fall, we'll be able to hopefully protect that onward spread if we become infected. Otherwise, there is a little bit of the, you know, hang on for the next couple of months and hope that we can continue dodging this for, for a little while longer till we get some better boosters on board. What about guidance if, if you test positive for COVID? Has that recommendation changed? It hasn't changed. Um, we still want you to stay isolated for at least five full days. So I have these conversations quite a bit with folks who have symptoms maybe for a couple of days, and then they don't test until day three or so. And they're already maybe feeling a little bit better. I like to use that test day as day zero because I just don't know how contagious you might have been those two or three days beforehand. So if you test positive five days from the day of that positive test, 
And the best way to exit that isolation is to test again at the end to make sure that you're negative. You mm -hmm. don't have to do that, which means that if you're not going to do that, you really need to make sure you're in a high quality mask and avoiding crowded situations through day 10 or 11. If you got sick enough to be hospitalized, you really, really should stay isolated for the full 10 days for more moderate to severe courses. Mm -hmm. And if you happen to take a course of Paxlovid, got better, and then had some symptoms return, this update and guidance also reinforces that you should count that as your day zero all over again and re-isolate for another five days to make sure any rebound COVID you're experiencing is, you know, had a chance to recover before you get back out there. Well, as we, we talk about testing, I'm going to ask you a question that came in via email, Dr. Taramina, last week is uh, from listener Bonnie. She says, my husband had a negative pre-op PCR one day. The next day had an accident and got a rapid test in a chaotic ER that was positive, came home the next day and did a rapid test that was negative. So three days in a row, he tested negative, positive, negative. He's never had a symptom. How can you explain this? Well, there's a lot of different ways to explain what can possibly happen here. Um, there could be the possibility that there is some asymptomatic, you know, shedding of virus and there's just not a lot of it there. So, you know, technique and other things might grab it in one test and not necessarily grab it in another test. The tropism or what this virus likes to attach to isn't as high in the back of the nose like it used to be with our earlier strains. So sometimes folks can have symptoms of COVID and test negative repeatedly because it's more attacking their throat or you know their GI tract or other things and they're having different types of symptoms. The important part is whether we like it or not is we really should regard every positive test as a true positive out of an abundance of caution. That's what's going to be the, you know, help us stop the spread of this even if we've had negative tests to follow. Yeah. On a case by case basis, speak with your doctor about clearing you if you need to be cleared sooner. But any positive tests, symptoms or not, stay isolated as best you can. Wear that mask if you have to be out and about just out of an abundance of caution. This is Reset. If you're just joining us, we're discussing what you need to know about the CDC's updated COVID guidance. With us is infectious disease specialist Dr. Mia Taramina. And we want to hear from you too. Tell us if you've got questions, call us at 866-915-WBEZ. Let's jump to the phones right now. We've got a Annette in Lombard. Hi, Annette. What's your question for the doctor? Hi there. I hope you're not hearing a um, an echo. I'm gonna no. You sound fine. Uh, okay. Awesome. Okay. So educators, help us out here. So I'm a high school teacher, and we have to do what the school district tells us to do. Uh, you know, barring we can wear a mask, but in terms of isolating and quarantining. You know, for 20 years, I have gone through flus and strep and, you know, we get sick every year. So what would you recommend us as educators to do? Because the last thing we want to do is be back on Zoom. Believe me, we want yeah. to be in the classroom and we know how important it is for all our students to have that social interaction. So how can we be safe? What would you recommend for educators to do? Many of us work in schools that don't, you know, our classrooms don't have windows in yeah. certain areas. And we have students who aren't going to be honest and need to be in the building because that's where, you know, they have their services, their social work services. They have their, their meals there. So right. how can teachers be protected? Good questions, Annette. 
these are great questions, Annette. And I mean, I really, first of all, thank you for teaching our, our kids. It's just uh, an incredible thing to, to do. Um, I think all teachers should be fully vaccinated and boosted. And if you're a teacher over age 50, you should have had that second booster at this point or getting it ASAP. So you have uh, the peak effect. And yes, you may need another booster as soon as we get these more variant specific, um, you know, boosters in the fall. I think the best protection for you as an individual is going to be to wear a high quality mask like an N95 or KN95. I completely understand that that might not be practical um, in the day to day and your ability to to project your voice. Um, so, you know, where you're able to kind of have a more distanced, uh, speaking distance from the kids, uh, masking can be a little bit more intermittent. But if you want to protect yourself, it's going to be that higher quality mask um, because you're absolutely right. Working in a high school, you're not necessarily going to have a lot of masking compliance. You're going to have a lot of kids and you're going to have a lot of kids come into school with all of the things, the coughs, colds, and flus that they come into school with every year. Good hand washing is great, especially when we don't have the ventilation we would like. It's as many layers of mitigation we can continue to focus on. All right. While we're on the topic of quarantine guidance, um, let's talk about monkeypox. Where are the numbers in Chicago right now? So officially we're over 800 cases. I think 831 was the last count that I saw for the state of Illinois. Um, And we're going to see more. You know, again, we are, are Expanding testing. Testing is now more accessible and it's more able to be done quickly um, by pretty much any doctor's office. So you can get testing done pretty readily. Um, What should people do if they have been exposed? So if you've had a known high-risk exposure and the person that you've been exposed to is positive for monkeypox, not just, you know, thinks they might have some symptoms. Um, Your first step should be to reach out to your doctor. It might be something as easy as as them um, being able to help you uh, test you or get you to a point where you can have some post-exposure prophylaxis with a vaccine. You also can contact the local health department where you live or where the exposure occurred, and you may be able to get some guidance there. If it's within the first four days of the known exposure, that's the sweet spot for getting you vaccinated to try and stop monkeypox from happening if you had a high-risk exposure and a risk of transmission. If it's been after four days or so and you're not able to get access to post-exposure vaccine, you need to monitor yourself for symptoms for the next three weeks. So it's a a possible three-week incubation period. So looking for the body aches, swollen glands, fever, and then a couple of days after those flu-like symptoms, that's when the lesions start. And they usually start, and they can start anywhere, but they usually start kind of head and neck, face, sometimes in the mouth as well. So be mindful if you start to have some, you know, sores that are developing and they seem a bit unusual. And then over the course of the next week, they start evolving elsewhere on the body and become more blister-like. They can be painful. Your whole body may be achy and in pain. And if you do have the actual lesions present, that's what we're able to test. We can actually test the fluid from Mm -hmm. the lesions and send that off to the lab. And and treatment options that are available? So most of the treatment is supportive care. It's just going to be staying home, resting, and recovering. There's been very, very few deaths because of this. For those who are severely immune suppressed, there are a couple of antiviral options, but that is really reserved for people that are likely to have very severe courses with monkeypox or they have immune suppression and are at risk for a very severe disease. For the most part, younger folks are staying home. You need to stay home until every single lesion is crusted over, and that you 
usually is between two and four total weeks. So we don't want to be getting back out there too soon if you have some lesions that aren't crusted over because you are still contagious. Let's hear from a couple callers here who've got some COVID questions before we go. First up is Johnny in Wicker Park. Hi, Johnny. How are you? Doing well. What's your question? Uh, my question is, in two more weeks, I'll be flying to Manila for a month. Should I get my third vaccination? So, Johnny, if you've only had your first two doses and you haven't had a booster, everyone's eligible for a booster above age five at this point. So you should get a third booster. If you're otherwise immune suppressed um, or over age 50, then yes, you're eligible for potentially a fourth dose of the vaccine as well. But if you've only had your two doses, you absolutely should get a third dose before you travel. Thank you, doctor. Uh, Let's hear now from Roberta in Oak Park. Hi, Roberta. What's your question? Um, Hi. Um, Several of us were at a birthday party and got COVID. And um, for those of us who are seniors, I'm 72, um, we uh, were fortunate enough to get Paxlovid. Several of the people continued to have a rebound, and I didn't. Um, I'm kind of past my uh, 10 days, and I'm feeling fine and tested again. And I was just wondering, is this not a strong enough dose of Paxlovid, or is there, are, are the people who had rebounds, do they have more of a viral load? What is the explanation for that? That's a very good question. We're still looking for the explanation for it. The The working thought is that we're just not killing everything off. We're getting to a point where some of the virus is able to be suppressed to really low levels where you are asymptomatic and the virus can't be detected with a test. You often test negative, but that small amount of virus is in the right place at the right time and it can re-replicate and cause symptoms again. In the beginning, the Paxlovid rebound was something that was very rare and we only were hearing about it once in a while. Now I would honestly say it's probably anywhere from one in five uh, the folks that, that get about, I would say about 20% of people will have some rebound symptoms after taking a course of Paxlovid, um, which is why we want to really be mindful in every single prescription I write for it. I always tell folks to, to watch for those rebound symptoms because that's an important thing as well. That is infectious disease specialist, Dr. Mia Teramina with Dooley Health and Care. Thank you so much, doctor. Thanks, Sasha. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.